time for Type 40, your Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks, and once again, your designated driver. Now, it could be you're new to the show. Hold tight. Mind the giant wasps this time, but it's just as likely you've been aboard before. Well, whichever, you'll be safe in the knowledge. This is the free-speaking, big-thinking, eclectic and eccentric show for everyone. Whatever decade or century you started watching, reading or listening along to those timeless adventures of our hero, Doctor Who. We chat about it all on this show. All views are encouraged and there could even be a few laughs along the way. Chin chin. So come and step into our TARDIS and share this journey together here with us on Type 40. Yeah, we're back with another one of our casual book club style meetups with friends and fellow fans reviewing randomized episodes of our favorite show concentrating on the 21st century incarnation of doctor who i'm sat here basking in the glow i've just re-watched this episode after years can't wait to get talking about it i have got a drink to hand in the uh, in the chair by the fireside though there's a man who knows how it's done it's the screenwriter, filmmaker, and director, Mr. Ian David Diaz. You're right. You trouble, mate. Yeah, I'm good. Yes. I'm good. How are you? I'm fine, and uh, looking forward to talking about this one. Get so, you stuck uh, in, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, yeah. you were with me when the randomizer, when we hit the randomizer, yes, and it worked. It's magic, did it? And it spat this episode out at us. So when you first saw that <laughs> title, "The Unicorn and the Wasp," did you mm. did you immediately know which episode it was, or did you have to really think? Have I seen that one? No, it's no, I, I remember. I remember it. I think that when it comes to, I mean, even with you, Doctor Who, come to think, there's been mm. so much of it. You'd be forgiven for getting some episodes kind of mixed up with one another, but I, I do think this one is unmistakable but we're bound to let a few things drop so uh, but for, uh, fortunately for us the department mm. of wendology has deployed the ceo to keep us in check so welcome back wendy nice to be back dad i've just Ooh. finished watching this episode yes <laughs> oh, so you're, you're fresh then you're fresh oh, from yes. that car chase at the end the, the world's <laughs> shortest and slowest car chase ever but forget about all that yeah get into the spirit of it anyway Last, but my, by no means least, welcome back, Charlotte Shields. I know, it's to prove I do actually like the show. I don't uh, just uh, moan about Charlotte Steele. This is our friendly and open review strand, everybody. Going forwards, we're going to be taking a regular, randomised look back at Doctor Who stories that uh, us or you may not have experienced for quite some time. If you know them inside out, then... Fair enough. We know lots of you do, but I certainly don't. This is as much a social thing as anything else for all us to take in, really, some of the Doctor Who universe, some of the sights and sounds over the last two decades. I think particularly when Doctor Who has traversed into other genres, they've either met historical characters that we may know something about, or indeed writers where we've read large amounts of their work, where some of us out there all go, oh, that's not right, or they didn't do that then, or they didn't write that until after that. <laughs> you know, there's always, there's always a SWAT in class, isn't there, Wendy? But I think generally, yes. <laughs> generally the spirit of, of togetherness and adventure does sort of rise above all of that. These reviews are far from the first word on these adventures, and they aren't intended to be the definitive or last word either just the latest word as we reconnect with our feelings and our memories and share them amongst one another and out there with our friends and fellow traveling companions 
Before we get into the episode itself, though, I have to remind you that if you'd like to do some real-time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two-way, if you know where to look, and on the device of your choice. There's dozens of great conversations, reviews, previews, interviews, geekouts and deep dives with all our regular voices and faces. We know there's something for every fan at type40.podbean.com. There'll be more about all of that a little later on, as well as a couple of minutes where we make contact with that matrix of all knowledge that we call the Fandom Podcast Network for a word about all the other cool conversations going on on all their other shows. And yeah, the time rotor is uh, stopping spinning now. And we are, yeah, have you got your psychic paper to hand, Charlotte? I've got a pad to start work. <laughs> That'll do. That'll more than do. Let's get stuck in. I've got me Oyster card. The, uh, <laughs> as long as that we can flash it. I'm sure they'll let us in. We're going to be crashing what is the world's tiniest garden party, aren't we? But <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Doctor Who was the toast of TV back in 2008, wasn't it, Ian? Do you remember it? I remember the advert um, for uh, when the BBC played it and you saw that big wasp thing. Because you can never forget that when you watched it. I was like, oh, it's a wasp in Doctor Who. Got to watch that, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, but everything about the show over the over those three years in between mm. it becomes sort of iconic hadn't it the sets the characters the recurring characters the theme tune it become a saturday evening ritual by 2008 i think <laughs> i hate that t- i hate that oh that top this room is so crap <laughs> you don't you so still don't crap. do the coral rubbish come on let's face it I, yeah. I, don't know, I, I sort of waver on it a little bit, but I think that the, the important thing is that these icons, Charlotte, they did manage to connect, didn't they, with the general audience. People like yourself, who'd only been watching a couple of years, you know, you'd seen this show come almost out of nowhere. I think your dad had sort of told you about Doctor Who, hadn't, hadn't he? And then it, it, comes, it comes into the schedules, comes back to the schedules, and trounces things like Anton Deck and the celebrity wrestling. Do you remember celebrity wrestling? If you don't believe me, <laughs> go and Google that. <laughs> and David Tennant, he'd become, he'd become the best-known face on British TV, hadn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think um, Series 4, which is what this episode is part of, it really felt like Doctor Who couldn't be touched. It just felt mm. like everything was trying to either catch up or it was just leaving stuff in its wake. And See, I could... The coral stuff, I can understand why some people don't like it, but I can just remember. <laughs> I think like it the didn't console. really see. I, I get what you mean with the console, but I think the general Sucks. room did a really mm. good job at just feeling massive. And I remember that's what yeah. I just felt. Yeah, yeah. Was watching that's, it, it yeah, just right. felt mm-hmm. like this absolutely massive space, and it sort of helped to, to sort of make you understand the big on the inside stuff a mm. bit more because you could visually see it. So I think they did a good job on that aspect of it. Mm. communicating the fact that it was like a world within a world yeah. that was slightly removed from our own where I wouldn't say different laws applied but it was it was the doctor's domain and, and yeah it was alien it was definitely yeah. an alien feel to it this particular episode came along as episode seven of series four now we didn't know at the time I think that this was going Avi Tennant's final season in the title role. I think they kept it under wraps for a little longer, Wendy. Do you remember when it was that that came about? I can't really remember when we first found that out. It was the National Television Awards. Basically, wow, Tennant well wasn't there. And he did a video because he was doing Hamlet at the time. So he literally was outside uh, like the theatre and he just announced it. Like, I'm leaving Doctor wow. Who. And I can remember just thinking that that's also plays to what we were saying that 
at a national television awards, that's how he announced he was going. It mm. wasn't like a press release. It wasn't like a little thing. It was big. And I yeah. can remember the reaction to the, him, the announcement. It was like, oh, God. what are we going to do? Like, yeah. the king's gone, almost, sort of mentality. Yeah. And we oh, got Matt. Yes. But I can't remember which time of year that event was shown at, whether it was later in the year or whether it had been on by now, if you, if you follow me. I, towards it was such an later in. odd yeah. Yeah, it, was, it was such an odd place for him to announce it. That's all I can remember when he did. I can't remember either, but then again, I'm old, so... Well, I, you know, I, can, so. Uh, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> they us as gently as they, as they could. And I suppose at a point where... You know, in between his acts of the play, he could he, you know, people couldn't grab him and demand that he tells oh. us more because he was due back on stage. He got his job to do, so it was yeah. very, very clever that of David Tennant. But yeah, he was the, probably the best known face and certainly the best known yeah. quiff on British TV back then. Five this burns. was yeah, this was enter, entering into the second half of his final full season as the Doctor. And if you haven't seen it for a while, here's a quick refresher about the Unicorn. And the Wasp. It was broadcast on Saturday, the 17th of May, 2008, on BBC One. It was all the way back in 1926. Uh, Agatha Christie mysteriously disappears, only to be found 10 days later at Harrogate Hotel with no memory of what happened to her. What could have been the cause? Was it a nervous breakdown? Was it a cry for help? Or did it involve a giant alien wasp and a mysterious stranger known as the Doctor? I That's wonder. how the Radio Times teased it. Yeah, as much as uh, Doctor Who is, I would say that its stock trade isn't real history. It's cod history. You know, it's, it's offering us history in a condensed way, whether it's historical events or historical characters. There's only so much that it can tell within a either 25-minute or 45-minute screenplay, isn't there, Ian? There's a lot in this mm. episode, too. There's a lot of stuff I didn't like as well. You know, as, as I keep saying, I'm a fan, but, you know, it, 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 the Doctor Who's not above criticism. It was fun, but um, watching it again, I cringe watching it this time round. When I first saw it, I thought, yeah, it was a lot of fun, but now watching, I think, oh. Really? But I've always maintained that Doctor Who's Doctor Who needs to grow up. It, the scripts need to be solidified, need to be in, in, in a logic that you can't break. This and is very mature, though, isn't it, Ian? This story, for all this... No. No, it's got a, look, it's got a zany <laughs> and fast quality. It's funny. It's funny in places, grown. but it's just the idea of a guy going, Zzz. I just thought, oh, no, please, <laughs> why? Why do you get this in Star Trek? Do you get this in... <laughs> You don't think it's only in British silly TV you get this. A guy going, Zzz. I'm like, what the? You know what I mean? So even when I, I first What you're saw talking it, about, Ian, is high fantasy rather than yeah, hard no, science come fiction. on. It's, it's, it's yeah. just beyond cheesy. That is just stupid. Why would he go, Zzz? Why would he do that? Because he's he a bee. When the nature of the menace of the Vesper form is sort of confirmed, we see this transformation, don't we, between human form and Vesper form, this giant wasp. That was always going to be a hard sell, wasn't it, Charlotte? Whenever they do this on Doctor whether it's classic or knew who whether it's a giant snake or a giant rat it's always the hardest thing to sell people on and in, in realistically to give you his due i'm teasing him a little there it's quite right though isn't it that people latch onto those elements of it because they kind of define something like this 
Well, yeah, and it's especially when you do a very animalistic alien. And that was another trait of Russell's era. He liked to do mm. stuff that you'd recognise, whether it's a cat, if it was the nurses, Giant there's crabs. a dude with rhinos. Like, you can see that Ooh. was his trait, so it does make sense. See, I mm. think, though, and I think we're missing some of that. I think some of the really Britishness is the silliness at times. I, I'm not saying I the agree. whole script should be silly, because then it would just be a farce, but... I just That's what think... it was. No, but I agree <laughs> yeah, with Dan. Yeah. I think there's <laughs> that the, the bits so. that are Agatha yes. Christie, though, I think yeah. they're done quite well. And they're done with actually a, quite a bit of a serious sort of realistic see, I, turn. I, I have a lot of friends that actually um, sort of like went away from Doctor Who because of this silliness the the, the 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 as i said as i keep maintaining mm. doctor who scripts need to grow up and if they carry on with this kind of tone in the new version i'm just gonna have my hands in my head all the time but as i said with this as i said i enjoyed it the first time around but the second time around i'm watching it i'm thinking oh no please <laughs> but you know that's just me right i mean but, what we're talking about there is the is the tone um, yeah. this was the the fourth time in four series that they well they'd mm. stuck to the same blueprint hadn't they russell yeah, t davis had and it really why you know if something's not broke why fix it so we had uh, charles dickens in series one followed by like victoria uh, mm. william shakespeare yep and then agatha christie in this episode again i think gareth roberts also wrote the shakespeare code yes they got him back for this one but again i think it's it, it tonally it's similar but not exactly the same this this is much much zanier and it's very clear whereas the, there's been so many cinematic interpretations of shakespeare not just his work but him as a person over the years somebody like agatha christie is really shrouded in mystery aren't they wendy for somebody who, who yeah. wrote so many books not really that long ago only in the last century you know she's still shrouded in mystery we see very few pictures of her and mm. so for them to bring her into contact with the doctor and donna i remember hearing about it and thinking yeah. oh wow that's going to be so so much fun and fenella woolgar who plays her in this uh, she just... i think she's wonderful yeah yeah she is and i and i was just thinking as you were um speaking about it earlier that this is a lovely in my opinion this is a lovely treatment and a lovely uh way to imagine her uh, and I think it was done very, um, very kindly and, and with great respect for her as a writer, but also um, the way that her character is is written and portrayed um, is lovely. And I and I I was very impressed by that. I I was very concerned, as I would be with any sort of recreation of a of a well known individual from history, whether they be a writer or whoever it's always very concerning because you think we all have an, a mental image of what we think certain people were like yeah. and what we think that and we may already there may be a lot of information out there on that person so you're even more critical whereas as you say there wasn't as much i suppose out there on agatha christie so we were uh, we were able to i think accept this version of her maybe or at least i was a lot more easily well, um, I think so. Yeah, she was marvelous. She, she was. She plays it with a lightness of touch, and I think although although the the writer and the showrunner both have fun with this, because I, as I understand, with each draft of the script, 
they kept challenging one another to make it funnier, make it snappier, and to include more references to her work in there. And they do, they poke fun at the genre too, at its conventions, but it remains respectful and so affectionate towards towards this woman, allowing uh, Woolgar to really bring the character to life in a a downplayed way. Yes, absolutely. And And I love the way she played her as well. Uh, as you said, a downplayed way, but in a way that allowed her to shine as an intelligent woman and as intelligent person. Um, and even the way the doctor interacts with her, he encourages her and Donna the same, you know, and he says to her, you know, you're Agatha Christie. You, this is, this is, this is your game. You know, you can figure this out. And he, he sort of, brings her back out of that funk that she's she's sort of gotten herself into and she's she's feeling very you know downtrodden and and as if her work isn't going to be remembered and of course as we're as I'm listening to the to the dialogue I'm thinking oh my god it reminds me a little bit of the Matt episode with uh, Van Gogh you know where where yeah. they allow him a little glimpse to see and in in Van Gogh's case a very big glimpse at what his what his legacy is going to to be mm-hmm. like and this is a less even, saccharine version of the yes. same kind of thing just three times yes. they did it they did it with um what's that one with chris eccleston it wasn't it wasn't oh, uh, there charlie. Was, it was, um, it was Char- so yeah and they mentioned Charles, this in this. they mentioned charlie that Boy. in this as well yeah and and they did it with her and and, and they did it with um van gogh and, yeah so what i, I like I've... about about the christie uh, the way they treat christie in this though is that as mm. you said wendy this at this point in her life she is at a crossroads in her life she's she's in her personal life at a crisis in her career whereby yes she's uh, successful a published author earlier early in her career her books are bought read and clearly loved because that's why she'd been invited to this party but mm. she's still at crisis nonetheless and it, but it's not written she, she's not written as a weak character at yeah. all she's weak written as a human character and i i think that nowadays 14 years on we don't see many characters particularly women written this confidently mm-hmm. and this and, and with this much reality charlotte i mean it, it was like a breath of fresh air for me this oh no because he they they made her doubtful of herself i think that was the key in but, that she any less, Donna, but she didn't feel any less yeah. empowered because of it though i know that's the thing that they obviously had to show her strengths her cleverness her sort of ingenuity but then they did say at the end of the day she's a human and humans have doubts and we all have moments when we think is it really worth it? That's what I got from that scene with Donna. But mm. Gareth did this with Shakespeare, and that's why I quite like Shakespeare, though, because of how Shakespeare's written in that episode, because they touch upon in that episode his mental health issues. Mm. And it's very cleverly done in that episode, and it's a lightness to it, but it's there. And obviously with Shakespeare, he'd lost his child. So it's talking about a very serious issue. Mm. And with here, it's about her husband be infidelity and the husband cheating. So they're very really normal day occurrences. And they just give these characters these very humanizing things. Mm-hmm. And it just makes you care about them more. Like I said, I think there's a Gareth wrote both Shakespeare Code and this, and I can see a sort of similar in some ways respect towards both historical characters he wrote in those episodes. I do, I do feel that he sort of puts himself as well, Ian, 
almost mm. in the form of Donna there because she's the one who's geeking out. Actually, no, the Doctor is too because the Doctor had mentioned before in the series, I can't remember which episode, that he would love to meet Christy. Here he gets a chance to, but it's Donna that's kind of all over her, isn't it? And, and it's hard not to completely fall for those moments and, and, and be right there with Donna. And Catherine Tate plays her so well. I love when she does the copyright thing. It's copyright that. They, 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 they do that gag three yeah. times and it's yeah. funny every single time. Yep. She's funny though. That's the thing. She's she's um obviously she's a comedian and she she brings life to Donna. Actually, when I first um saw her, I, I really didn't like her at all. Didn't like I, did, I thought she was unlikable. But in, in this season, she she becomes her own person, in my opinion. As I said, when we when I saw her in the um the bride one, the the Christmas special, I just yeah. thought, what why? Do you know what I mean? Thank God she's not going with him. <laughs> and then when she came back with that those little squishy things um i just thought oh no why are they doing this and i didn't really I like her same. but yeah i think in this season um she really did especially at the library episode and and she was like she's she's become her own character and stuff like that she's a bit overbearing at times but um I you know sometimes is. <laughs> yeah well some, sometimes the doctor doctor has to stop her do you know what i mean but um the doctor's very respectful is respectful to agatha christie in this episode as well you know when she i think she tells him off at one point and he just allows it do you know what i mean so yeah. he's very respectful all 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 the characters in in in, in this episode which is quite good because Tennant, Tennant always overacts as the Doctor, which um, I, I guess that was his, tra his, his trade. But I think I think he does. I think he does. And he can sometimes lay on a touch thick. No, very <laughs> thick in this episode. Very, very <laughs> thick. So, but he was, so, so, he was enjoyable. He was enjoyable, wasn't he? I so. made a joke earlier on about this being the world's tiniest garden party, but there's a great cast <laughs> nonetheless. Mm. Fleshing it out. So we have Lady Anderson so. played by the uh, legendary uh, Felicity Kendall from The yeah. Good Life and Solo. Yeah. And uh, what was that? Rosemary in Time, that silly detective show with her and yeah. Pam Ferris. That was, that was great. And we've mentioned Fenella Woolgar as Agatha Christie. There's Tom mm. Goodman-Hill there who's been seen in lots of shows since. Things like Mr. Selfridge. He plays the Reverend Arnold Golightly. Ian Barrett plays Professor Peach. It's got to be one of my favourite character names in Doctor Who history ever. <laughs> We've got it's Adam Rayner plays Roger. Daniel King plays Davenport. Charlotte Eaton plays Mrs. Hart. There's a there's a name straight out of Cluedo as well. Mm. We've got Lena Dingra as Miss Chandra, Chandrakala. I knew I'd struggle with that. And uh, the awesome Felicity mm. Jones who's now yes. a major Hollywood star. That's right, as the, uh, as the kind of villain of the piece, I suppose. Yes, she, she went on to be in Star Wars not notably, most notably in Geek Quarter in Rogue One, as probably the lead character, as you know, so as you said there, Ian. You know, she's so, also been in The Theory of Everything, didn't she? The, uh, that was a great film. The, bio, the biopic of, mm. uh, what's his name, Stephen Hawking? Yeah. <laughs> I really lots, like that film. Of great drama, mm. drama films and comedy films. You'd never really know what she's going to turn up in next. But here she is in this, again, just one of many people in the cast. And a cast, it's a strong cast. It's not, she's great in it. But then I think everybody's great in yes. this. And uh, joined, yeah. I think it's only fair that we uh, highlight too, they, they're joined by Doctor Who recurring character royalty yes. in the form of Christopher Benjamin. Yep. Uh, originally seen playing Sir Keith Gold back in 1970 in Inferno. And then as yeah. uh, Henry Gordon Jago in The Talons of Wang Chiang, we see him uh, again in this. Again as Colonel Hugh Kerbishley, 
the husband of and he hasn't Steve changed he's a marvelous character <laughs> he really is yeah he so... seems to have changed does he Quite really? so, yeah <laughs> no no exactly he does he's very recognizable and he's such a wonderful character he's he's uh it was just such a pleasure to see him in this again and i'd forgotten that he was in this one so it so was good. real it was a delight to see him mm. we were going ah there he is jaco <laughs> But as is traditional with these with these uh, stories, Ian, you know they're, they're whodunits, aren't they? And they've all got their conventions, and one by one, you know, the characters are going to get bumped off one by yeah. one as the list of suspects of the culprit gets <laughs> whittled down. Are you a fan of that kind of storytelling, or is it something that makes you yawn a little? All that French windows, tea on the lawn stuff. Uh, no, I, I, as, as I said, um, it kind of reminds me of Cluedo. Uh, this episode, the, the the movie Cluedo, none of you ever saw it. A lot of people have forgotten. I that know, movie. I know this, of it. Yeah, yeah, I really like that movie. Um, but it kind of reminds me of that. But as I said, right, you know, if I had a criticism on 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 this episode, it was how very uh, childish the screenplay was, and um, that's my only criticism of it. But I did when I first saw it, I did enjoy it, and and um, I don't, I re, I rarely see stuff that's set in that time especially the stuff that bbc make I, I i despise that stuff with the frocks and all that nonsense i i can't really get into that nonsense at all but it's doctor who you've got to watch it right <laughs> you got to watch it because drama isn't really yeah. your thing is it no it's not mm. not at all it is no. it is a big thing in america though and i thought it was yeah. interesting that this episode um was done in in the way that it was because i do wonder mm. if that was part of the reason that they did it because it is a it is something that's quite relatable really all over the world but particularly mm. in a big market like america um we love that stuff we yeah. just do yeah the success of downtown abbey is yeah. largely down to its international audience masterpiece yeah. theater i think shows it there and this is this is very very downtown albeit yeah. on a budget it looks like the costumery was maybe from from somewhere like uh like primark or somewhere like that <laughs> rather than anywhere lavish you can see costumes in the same world yeah but it yeah. was enough to set the tone you know and and mm. and there was so much going on that you didn't really have that much time to to be too concerned thankfully or focus too too much on things but it it it, uh, it sort of accomplished the goal of setting setting the scene i think the thing that really bothered me in the script and you know as i said i don't say these things lightly because i am a huge fan doctor who fan but as i said i'm a huge fan of a lot of um, genres and i don't give them free passes because i'm a huge fan it's just mm -hmm. the idea that agatha christie will not accept that that thing is an alien it's just the logic behind that. Just, just I just go, why? You know, if you saw a huge wasp floating in front of you, of course you're going to believe it exists. Of course you're going to listen to the doctor, what he's saying, if he knew about it. You wouldn't just go, oh, poppycock. As soon as she sees it, though, you see a completely different change in attitude. No, no, I no, you didn't. Because remember the first time she saw it, she says, oh, it's done with mirrors and stuff. And, and then even after she's seen it again, she still denied it. Do you, don't you isn't, remember that? Is so, that not, though, Ian, I, partly the writer... How, again, having fun with the fact that it's Christy, because within all her books, I can't, I can't remember how many books she wrote. I know it was probably around 100. And yeah, as I understand you... it, she played with certain ideas in those books whereby trick, trick uh, magicians and yeah, trick photography you... and mirrors and all that kind. Isn't that what they were doing? No. <laughs> again, right? A Doctor Who scripts need to grab, needs to have an internal logic. 
right? If if people in real life sees a huge flying wasp, huge in your room, you're not going to turn around and say you didn't believe it was there. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to turn around and, but with and have what some we kind know of... about Christy though as a woman. No, as, as even if you're who... a writer. No, listen to me. Listen to me. As, she, as somebody who created those stories, yeah. means that she had a. a that in her head, in her imagination, she yeah. was minded to believe that potentially human beings could make all sorts of things appear real when they're not. I, I think that's what they were trying to play to here. No, no, it's just yeah. bad writing. If you, okay. if a big wasp came in front of you and you saw it and you heard it, whatever, and you and it threw things at you, you would actually you would believe it's there. Why would you deny it? One thing that just popped into my head when you were saying mm. that, do you know when people see things like ufos in the sky mm. without getting into the yay or the nay you, on that, you can see something that kind of really shocks you to the point where you can see it and then walk away and within a few minutes go no no i couldn't possibly have seen that and then your brain actually starts manufacturing reasons what that could have been and starts making suggestions about practical things that they could have been this ufos are different if you see it millions of miles and you see a ufo and stuff that of course you're going to question it but uh, this yeah. thing right in front of you i'm no, sorry no, but there's but, no there's gonna be no excuse for that step in and say this though and, and, back, and back up wendy and say that i know people who claim that they've seen ufos really at quite close quarters or things that are unexplainable at close quarters so i think uh, i do uh, i think sort of as I, I said, as I said, Ian, I, I think, straws. I know, well, as I said, I get where you're coming from because they would be so close to this thing and it mm. would be very obviously in front of them. But I still think that the human brain goes <laughs> into like shock. Excuses for this screenplay. You know? Go for it. You go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the big stinger I goes through the door. The big stinger one. goes through the door and she still doesn't believe it. Come on. That, Come that on. I will give you. I will give you yeah. that moment. Although the writer of this story, Gareth Roberts, is a massive uh, Agatha Christie fan, and so is Russell T. Davies. Apparently, yeah. the idea came from the producer, Phil Collinson, when they were allocating who was, who was going to write what. And gradually, I think it morphed from a more traditional detective whodunit story yeah. into it's, it's... this comedy monster of the week kind of tale. When you're aware that Roberts and Davies, with each successive draft that was going between the two of them, they were challenging one another to include as many book titles from Agatha Christie's novels as they possibly could. You notice that. Well, I certainly do. My mother used to read so many of these when I was a kid, so I recognised a lot of them. It does kind of break the spell a little. For me, there's a line, and because this episode is so self-aware at points, that it knows it's got Agatha Christie, it knows yeah. it's playing with Cluedo, it yeah. knows all the tropes, that I give it a bit more slack because it's self-aware in that sense. Because it's so... Doctor Who, that's why you're giving it slack. No, no, no. If it was like, another show, it's... you'd be like, why? No, okay, <laughs> okay. Here's, here's a comparison. Aliens... Uh -huh of london i yeah. think because that is trying to do serious in some yeah. bits and because it's not really winking at a genre or a trope the mm. silly bits don't work in aliens of london right. whereas in this episode because it's set in this time period it's set with the doctor and donham like dan was saying having multiple comments about agatha christie cluedo yeah. professor peach in the lounge with the lead piping it, yes. it's self-aware yeah, so funny. 
because it's self-aware, it's not, it, it knows it's silly, I think is what I'm trying to say. Like, it knows it's silly, so it's mm. playing into that, whereas well, some of the other... You can be silly are, by using logic, though. You can be silly, but I'm just saying that the... the <laughs> anyway, I've said it before, so I, I won't repeat it. But I hear what you're saying, Charlotte. I hear what you're saying. I, I wonder if, because the series, they knew they had... I mean, the series was a massive, massive hit by then, wasn't mm. it? It was everywhere. I think, or wonder, did they feel more comfortable making a story that didn't necessarily follow you know it wasn't going to be perfectly logical storyline wise and coupled with the fact that they were obviously one-upping each other with the with the the scripts and things like that to get as much in did they feel they could get away with an episode like this because they'd already established that the show was a massive hit and it and it had so. some good quality episodes did they sort of say oh let's just have some fun with this one and I then, think so, Wendy, and I know. think that, that that shows itself in in a couple of places. Put uh, the conversation between Donna and Agatha Christie, where where Donna talks about the guy that she was engaged to, who turned out to be uh, <laughs> who turned out to be the servant of a giant <laughs> yeah. spider. But more particularly in that moment that you talked about, Ian, where uh, Donna says, "Oh come on, Agatha Christie in a murder mystery. It's about as likely as Charles Dickens surrounded yeah, by yeah, ghosts at funny. Christmas. Yeah, yeah, it's so self aware. It's ridiculous. It just sort of reaches out the screen." It's kind of Hercule Poirot on acid. The beauty of, ha of having a character like the Doctor with his amazing physicality. You know, when you've got a smaller cast, somebody's going to get hit with a blunt object. Somebody's going to fall off a high precipice. <laughs> precipice. <laughs> Somebody was always going to get poisoned in this story. Yeah. And the yeah, yeah, yeah. That it, he's the Doctor, and he's the one person within the cast that can power through it, that can overcome it in... Probably the standout scene from the entire episode, I think. Even the stuff with the wasp. I think when I look back to the unicorn and the wasp, all the years in between, because I hadn't seen this for well over 10 years, the scene that I remember was that scene where the doctor gets poisoned. Because up until that moment, he's very he's powering through. He's on a roll. As you say, David Tennant is right on the edge of overdoing it. And they really, really go for it. Graham Harper directed this story. Graham Harper, the veteran Doctor Who director from the classic series, he directed Caves of Androzani and Revelation of the Daleks. Russell T. Davis brought him back on board for, for Series 2. I think he directed the block that included the Cybermen episode as well as the finale. And he would return after this as well to do, certainly did The Waters of Mars. This is unlike anything else I feel that he ever directed, particularly in the classic show, but even in New Doctor Who too. It's very imaginative, energetic, mm. and surprising in places too. We get the expected Dutch shots in this. We get the Batman Star shots yeah. that moments yeah. where we're looking down a normal hallway the doctor calls down that everybody should stay in their rooms or whatever it is split mm. second timing beautifully framed i just thought this was one of several brilliant moments of flourishes within a story that could have quite easily have been that kind of three-walled set mystery story that we saw growing up on on mm. bbc or itv in shows like the forsyth saga <laughs> i don't know it's borderline farce. I know it is, but it never becomes pantomime. That is probably such an easy thing to do, particularly when you bring in a, a giant wasp. A big giant wasp that nobody believed was real. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought it up. There you go. I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> because with a murder mystery, as I said before, you know the etiquette of it. You know what you're going to get, and usually the order in which you're going to get it. But there's moments like that, 
and when we when we see the the, uh, the doctor pointing directly at the camera as he moves from potential suspect to potential suspect, and we work our way around the I room. Like, and um, we, we end yeah. up right back where we started, don't we? Do we do a three sixty? Yeah. I like um, Donna Kip saying, "Well, he was he with the murder? No, he wasn't." <laughs> it's like <laughs> was he in murder? No, because those are the well, conversations we have at home watching murder mysteries, aren't yeah. they, Wendy? With our family when we when we watch Miss Marple or whatever. Absolutely. And it does have that feel to it. It does have that sort of just, you know, everybody sort of shouting out something saying, oh, it's that one. Oh, it's that one. Um, and I love Donna in this um, in particular because she she does sort of become, well, the companion is always, on you know, on most levels, the 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 eyes of the audience, you know, and, um, and she's, she's great, you know, sort of calling things out in the background and uh, the scenes where Tennant says to her, you know, like he sends her upstairs and he says, Oh, you're ever so plucky. And she sort of glares at him. You know, (laughs) I, um, I love those two together so much. That's why I have, I have a real soft spot for this one because, um, although it, it, it's not perfect. Um, it's, it's a, it's a romp. You know, it's it's just some fun and it, it plays as just fun and something that, again, like a whole family could sit down and watch. But um, I can understand why it, it would be off putting for for people who are, you know, um, already making a little bit of an allowance if, you know, from the very start of the, the you know, the new series. Um, this would probably just send them off, um, and I totally get yeah. that. But this, yeah, this was. There were some that were still do. struggling, Wendy. I think that even though the series yeah. been off for a long time, there were there were some, a, a, a smaller fraction of the longer-standing audience who were still struggling with the rhythm and the energy of New Doctor Who. My, the my, yeah. my friend said. My friend, I remember watching this the first time, and my friend said, how stupid is this story? And I was like, well, it's meant to be a farce. And he said, the doctor spits out this stuff that comes right out of his mouth, and the next scene is them having having dinner. And nobody questions <laughs> yeah. how this man, had thing exactly. came out of his mouth. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. And it, they, I, you know, as I'm saying, these are the things that kind of, you know. But as yeah, I said, I mean, they would have been is, ganging up on him, saying, they you're, the, been like, you're yeah. the oddball, it was you, yeah. you know. They no, would have been like, what? Obviously, you know? this is stretching it a lot, but they do comment on no, the No, stretching episode. it 10 miles. <laughs> 10 miles. That's no, what it was stretching This, is, this is why I, I, I think there is themes that sort of almost sort of don't, don't, don't make that a bit more acceptable, but it sort of explains it a tiny bit. It, and it talks about this Englishness in the episode of you don't show any emotion. You keep everything that under the That only happens in carry-on films. Well, that no, only but... happens to carry on films. I'm come on, I'm come on. You got, you got yeah, to no, you understand talking. the logic behind this. No, but it's talking about a mindset. Uh, what they're talking about is the British mindset of what carry on. <laughs> That's what they talk about. They mentioned well, they do whatever. mention that several times in the script. Down there, we're, we're British. Yeah, yeah. what an excuse. That, that's a stupid excuse. It's true. In though, real life, like... if that if that happens, we'll be questioning it. Why are we having lunch with this person? This alien person, they will know that is there's something wrong with well, him it, after it's seeing obviously, that. Scene. It's obviously several stops along <laughs> the way from the same lo- uh, point of logic. But oh, you know, I don't, I don't. I'm not old enough to have known anybody from this generation. Mm. But I, my grandparents were of the generation that came afterwards, and they were still yeah. very much of that sort of keep calm and carry on. You know, the Russian also, did anybody find it a bit odd that um, the Asian woman, Indian woman, was in charge of? the staff 
Well, she was a maid. No. So she obviously. Yeah, but she was Indian.、Up. She was Indian, though, wasn't she? So I mean, wasn't was she a that, friend? Was that of... allowed? Because there was a lot of racism in those days, and there was that. Was was she that? Was, was that? She was the one that was with the Phyllis.、Um, I can't remember、yeah, um, her character's okay, name. Yeah, yeah. From India, she was with, with her、that. in India, so perhaps、yeah. she was. Maybe. You know,、mm. I think yeah, I think maybe that's how they tried to explain that. Yeah, yeah and if、I、you think... think about it. She didn't have a husband at that time, so it would have just been her running the house, the lady. It wouldn't no, have been but... a male in charge of the house. It would have been her. She's from India. I think she is a、yeah. friend that has come back with Felicity Kendall's character when she came、yeah. back pregnant. Maybe partly to look after her because she's like maybe around the same age, actually slightly older. So maybe she was looking after her. But I think what we've also got to、mm. re- remember too is this is the 1920s. This is 20, 20, 25 years before the partition of India, and.、Mm. Over three decades before a large-scale、uh, immigration, immigration into the UK, so people came and went、uh, across the empire pretty much individually. And so, whilst I won't say there was no ra- racism, then I would imagine that there was.、Mm. There wasn't the kind of of、uh, prejudice and, and sense of threat of of,、uh, of immigrants that there probably would be several decades later, because you know she's just one woman. And I think and, you're wrong. I think the, the, I don't the, know. I I don't. I gen, genuinely don't know. Well, I think the the staff would、um, would、uh, be very upset that someone、oh, of a different colour would be telling them what to do, and I think that's. But then, as I said, then again, the BBC doesn't really, you know, they want to they want to correct history for some reason. But as I said, that was a bit odd to me. But you know, it doesn't matter. It's just Who, the nature of service was a bit wider, and depending on、mm. a family too, where they had their money, and maybe if they'd fought in various wars, you know, for,、uh, anywhere、uh, between the, the from the Crimean War、yeah. upwards, really from the、uh, from the mid part of the eighteen hundreds, Britain and India were 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 very closely linked in,、uh, as regards trade and and, and and travel and things like. Yeah, but I'm saying even even when my mum came over in the '60s, you know, the, the, you know, the, all the English people used to look at my mum and dad when they were sitting in sitting on a chair on the bus. So、yeah. and that was the '60s because you imagine it, it was the '20s and someone came from India and was telling commanding white white folk what to do. It's Doctor Who, so you know. And, well, I think you're making <laughs> a good point here, and I think well, I think、yeah. actually what what you're saying as well is is what we're we're now seeing. Um, mm. On steroids. Yeah, but I'm just saying that that to me was I don't I don't want to get into a conversation, but I was just saying that that was a bit、yeah. odd. Yeah. But I just wanted to go back to the scene between the doctor and Donna, where they're thrashing around the kitchen trying to expel the poison from the doctor's、mm. body. That is the scene. That is probably the ultimate Marmite scene, certainly of the Tennant era. I think even, I was always a bit middling on on Donna at the time. I've really warmed to her over the years. But there's a big dividing line in Doctor Who fans between people who just cannot stand that scene because、yeah. mm-hmm. both of them, Tate and Tennant, I'd love to know how many times that was rehearsed, Charlotte, how long it took them to film it, because it's that energetic and so so fast. Harvey Warbanger, how's Harvey Warbanger? One word, it, it, it flows、yeah. totally like conversation does, really really heightened. And obviously the Doctor is trying to save his own life. Donna doesn't really know what's going on. It's exciting and it's funny at the same time. I don't know how how they did it. I'm kind of in awe of it now. I think back in 2008, I was more in the camp of people who thought it was a bit much, but now I'm completely on board and I really, really loved it. 
Mm. Well, isn't it? What can happen over time? First time I saw her, I was like, oh no, they're bringing her back. Why? Do you know what I mean? And then in, I think it was this season where I warmed to her that she was, she, she was her very, she was her very own person, even though she was irritating at times, you can tell that she was a, a woman that had intelligence, but also, you know, a woman that could, could, uh, intelligent. Could, could, she's funny. Yeah. She's empathic. She's fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. loyal. There are, there are better Donna episodes than this, but I don't think mm. she was any better than she is in this. And I get the balance between them absolutely right in selling mm. us on the fact that this is the Doctor's, it's the doctor's best mate. Yeah. And, and for all that, that DT is, <laughs> it takes it up to 11, somehow she manages to keep up with that. And so every scene between them is, is yeah. full of energy. And it's really connected. Yeah. And it, you feel like this, this time in Doctor, Who is, Doctor Who's history is lightning in a bottle and it reassures me when i see not just moments like this but the entire piece after nearly five years of really slim pickings on the current show this show was just as good was just as dynamite as i remember it being. i love i love these two together because it's not about sexual tension it's just it's just two excellent actors who work Friendly. really well together who just uh they're just like you said they're best mates they bounce off of each other perfectly. Um, Tennant and Tate are, I think, the best double acts I've seen in ages, and um, they're, you know, they're just mates. So the the whole scene where she kisses him to give him a shock would actually be a shock. It would be like your best mate turning around and giving you one on the lips, and you'd be like, "What?" Um, and I think that's why. I mean, the scene didn't didn't like bother me at the time, um, but. I, a part of me was like, "Oh God, I hope they're not going to take this in the in the in that direction," because yeah, that was felt. the whole fun of Donna. There was no romance. There was none of that, and there was a lot of funny lines about that. You, you're a you're a thing, you know. And and she's making this big show of not being the least bit attracted to him in that way. They were playing with the fact that Catherine Tate was a real difference as a companion, just as an actress. Because mm -hmm. before that, you had these very young, these very pretty. What I are say you saying? Woman. I can say it. Um, <laughs> no, but that was the sort of Catherine, just ignore what she said. Just ignore what she said. <laughs> no, but that's finish. my point. She was, an, she was actually a breath of fresh air because she wasn't this stereotype almost that Russell had created of what a companion was. In the modern era, she's she a real woman. Broke that. I, I, so, I don't know. I think there were a lot of companions that um, quote wasn't uh, wasn't uh, good looking. I didn't think um, Bonnie Langford was good looking no, personally. But I didn't. You I know, didn't <laughs> Russell. Oh, Russell, Russell had created okay. that template yeah. that the companion yes, was they, female, mm. was young, and was sort of a we didn't create interest. that. So Donald yeah. was oh. this lovely breath of fresh air, and also Donna's um, Catherine Tate's background as a comedy actress we hadn't mm. had a comedy actress in new who and i only think honestly this scene was almost written perfectly for Catherine yeah. and Tennant, because i can't see rose doing this i can't see martha doing this with the doctor this sort of kinetic and the quick yes. one-liners and the pure comedy thing of yeah like you said harvey Wallbanger, like how's that one and all those lines that well yeah donna, donna was a little bit older, so had a little bit more um, worldliness, a little bit more of awareness of a lot of these, the, the 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 comments and the tropes and things like that. And yet, what I love about Donna is that she seems a very real woman. She's she's um, somebody that I related to tremendously. She is beautiful, 
but in in her own way and she's she's very um she is beautiful in her own way that she is what does that mean i think from a from a female's point of view and and as we get older we see beauty in a very different way and we and catherine is in any in any any situation that she's in no matter where she is really she's what's the word i'm looking for she's kind of like an every woman you know she she can relate to a lot of different scenarios and she becomes almost the sisterly like the big sisterly sort of figure yeah. to a lot of the characters and a lot of the stories she becomes less um abrasive doesn't she and, and yes. from the and from the ring she was abrasive and even in i think the first few episodes when she was with david Tennant, she was very very abrasive but as yes. as i said in this season i think she was calmed down a bit and knew knew obviously knew what the doctor was all about so yeah i mean you're right she, she does she does she does grow i think if i've got a, a bone to pick with this it's the fact that it's um as a whodunit story which I, mm. I, do, I do like. I don't read them, but I do like watching them. And it's hardly foreign territory to Doctor Who, but somehow the Who Done It story in this doesn't seem to have much room to breathe. And therefore, it never really engrosses me in the way that it could. I'll be honest, I couldn't remember who the unicorn was. So the revelation that it was Felicity Jones did actually sort of take me by surprise. It was, yeah. oh, yeah, I remember this. That was more sort of the dawning realization. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to have been pulled in a little bit more by it. And I think that the reason that I wasn't was probably the insistence that it have some sort of monster of the week element. They're partly to sort yeah. of accelerate things, entertain children. That was the decision that they made to have yeah. a, a kind of monster of the week. And I can sort of live with it. But I think that that was at the cost of a more engrossing detective story. And, you know, particularly all these years on, I'm more than, than happy to live with it. And I think it does... I wouldn't call this a middling story. I do think it's better than that. As I say, it's working part of series four. It fulfills a function to almost that we can sort of breathe a little easier in between what had gone before, which I think was the planet of the Ud, which was quite heavy. And then what was to come mm. after Silence of the Library, that double part was again very, I like very that heavy. One. Perhaps an intentional sort of, like you say, a lightness. Um, I think a bit, so. A bit of, yeah. And that could have been why they why they went to Gareth Roberts there. It's uh, time to uh, retire to the veranda <laughs> just for a couple of minutes for a top-up, a cheeky top-up, <laughs> while you listen to a couple of minutes' worth of the latest gossip from our friends across the Fandom Podcast Network. There you'll find a parallel universe full of great, geeky conversation. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a jiffy. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to these other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, discussing the latest in entertainment pop culture. Blood of Kings, Immortals Take Notice, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theaters, where we celebrate our favorite movies. Time Warp, the Fandom Flashback podcast discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, and TV pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville show. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our show covering the time-traveling Doctor Who universe with host Dan Hadley. Lethal Mullet, an 80s and 90s action film podcast with host Adam P. O'Brien. Also check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. 
What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast with hosts Scott, Derek, and Nathan. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, a deep dive into the final frontier with hosts Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. And check out our newest shows, The Fandom Show, our monthly fandom podcast network live YouTube exclusive show about the month's hottest topics in fandom, and the FPN True Believers MCU podcast discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the related Marvel television and streaming MCU universe, including the connections to the original Marvel comics. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on several platforms. Please subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel to receive notifications of new podcast episodes and live events. You can enjoy all of the Fandom Podcast Network audio podcasts on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. The Fandom Podcast Network is on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find the Fandom Podcast Network on Instagram at Fandom Podcast Network and on Twitter at FanPod Network. Thank you for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. We've teased and tantalized you there, and we can even clove you too. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to the tpublic.com shop, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and you'll find a store full of all the team colors for all of those podcasts on anything from T-shirts to phone cases, tapestries, and all manner of other everyday items. Treat yourself. Treat your other selves. And it all goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain. So everybody wins. <laughs> yeah, back to the unicorn and the wasp here with Ian, Charlotte, and Wendy. Where did we leave off back in the 1920s? Yeah, uh, we're going to deliver our verdict on this story in a couple of minutes. But yeah, let's uh, let's check in with a few of the, the fantastic facts. Did you guys know that there was uh, originally a different beginning and an ending filmed to this story where, where an aged Agatha Christie, whose memory has started to return of this whole escapade, was starting to, uh, to fill in the blanks and the Doctor and Donna again visit her and, and show her that book cover. Apparently it's on the DVD box set. I haven't seen this. Have I, don't, I don't remember that. Nor do I. I don't personally remember that now. They show the book at the end, doesn't he? He opens the thing and he shows this book. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, is that book meant to be from the future? Yes, because it, the date be, on it yeah. is like... Well, it'll be on Kin- would it yeah, not be on Kindle? When the doctor goes through his chest and finds the book out, yeah. just say facsimile edition. The uh-huh. idea being that maybe there would still be... Because we have facsimile, uh, facsimile comics now, don't we? We have comics yeah. from the 1960s and yes. of some books at the Folio Society. They thrive on all that kind of thing. So I think the idea is that they would still be crunching those things out and there would yeah. still be willing purchasers thousands of years on. It's Well, we it's still have reach. vinyl. We still have vinyl. People can buy we those. And they're we not like... Yes, modern yeah. thing to use. So I think that's a good idea. That certain things I think will always stick around, but in smaller, more, like Dan said, very concentrated Ish. ways. Yeah, Doctor Who still going to stick around in the future. Yeah. I reckon. Of course it will. Agatha Christie will so conductive. There was a scene in this that really confused me watching it this time. It was this moment where the Doctor is seen striding through a forest with a bow and arrow. And uh, and some sort of machete cutting down foliage. I thought, what the devil's that? 
And uh, I thought, well, is it uh, some sort of throwback to an adventure that I can't quite remember? But it turns out it's uh, a tie-in to a short story that appeared on the BBC website called The Lonely Computer by the writer Rupert Light. Uh, it's still up on the BBC website, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes of the podcast and the description of the video. I don't think I've ever, ever read this of any no, of you. news to me, no. Well, no, but it made me think of um, Blink, because he's got, yeah. like, a yes. oh, net, yeah. hasn't he? That's yeah. what made me think when I watched it again. Mm. Yep. Maybe it's tired. Cool. Maybe it's tired. There could be a whole sort of set of them. Yeah, it could be mm. a whole set of those. For all I, for all I know, uh, the expansion of the BBC's Red Button service and the website and in time the YouTube channel meant that they did experiment quite a lot and more, probably more with Doctor Who than any other show. But it meant that it was quite difficult to keep track of absolutely everything, particularly in the Moffat era, there's like two or three minutes. I'm still finding two or three minutes worth, Charlotte, of Matt Smith performances that I've never seen before. The guy left the part eight years ago. Well, Moffat liked his minisodes. Mm, um, but I, I remember back then, because I watched the show, but I didn't do a lot of the extra stuff as I see it now. So I, I never watched the minisodes. So I'm the same. I'm, there's a lot of chunk that I haven't seen. Mm. There was somebody in the cast of this. If you if you keep your eyes peeled, you can see them in the background. The serving staff. You will see there's a, a man called Alexander McDonald, Sandy McDonald, who was David Tennant's father. He was visiting <laughs> on location for this episode, and they offered him a role. But yeah, I, I just think this is a lovely thing to have done. Mm. Uh, the script is riddled with those references to Agatha Christie and all those book titles. As I said, there was a competition between Gareth Roberts and Russell T. Davis to get in as many as they could. I was able to spot some. Turns out the list is as long as your arm. I'm going to put those in the description to the video and the show notes of the podcast too, and you can see how many you got. Create a little bingo card if you like. Now, we do have the ratings, Ian, the ratings for this episode. What do you think the ratings, the final figure would have been for this back in 2008 mm. would you like to take a guess i don't know maybe seven million probably eight or oh, i'm not actually that's too much in it in those days there were maybe five i reckon oh. five to six yeah sure you, you so where are you going five or six five six or seven <laughs> that's what i reckon <laughs> Charles, what do you think where do you think the ratings came in at this one so you saying like after a week yeah, the, the consolidated figure. We, we oh, didn't the really consolidated have the figure. Breakdowns. Yeah, that's what I'm We didn't really have breakdowns then the way they do now. The way they get, uh, gather ratings and divide them has changed quite a lot in the last 40 years. Yeah, if, if it's not on the night and they were looking a bit ahead, I'm going to say, because it's a Series 4, like I said, it, Doctor Who was at its height for Series 4. Russell was like King of the World and David was. I'm going to mm. say 7 billion. 7 what? Billion? Million. <laughs> million, oh, right. We said billion. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, million. Any guesses, Wendy? Where, where would you go? I I would have said um, on the high end of, of seven million, something like that. Believe um, it or not. Because I could see this being quite a popular one somehow. Go on then, tell us, Dan. Believe it or not, the figure for this was 8.4 million views. wow that's wow crazy. said series four folks that's how big the show was yeah yes yeah, yeah. more to the point that's the it. audience appreciation index figure was yeah. 88 88 wow. which is uh counts as excellent mm. in that uh, in that particular 
figure there. They hadn't been using, calculating AAI figures for that long at this point in the way that they are now. But yeah, that's, mm. that's a high figure. And they were consistently high at this time in the show's history. We have, mm. uh, yeah, so I suppose we have the uh, one question left to ask, the simplest question of all. How many pieces of lead piping out of five would you give the unicorn and the wasp, Charlotte? Oh, this is hard because I, I understand that it is a bit, if you think about it too much, your logic sort of goes, <laughs> what, what, what? But like I said, this is this is farce. It knows it is. It's sort of in on the joke. So I give it a bit more sort of leeway there. I think the, the, the performances are all so good. I think the writing's very quick. I like the fact that the script doesn't hang around a lot. I think it works for this sort of story. But like I said, it's it's I can understand there is some logic cues that you just go, oh. So I'm going to say 3.5. How about you, Wendy? Um, I got a lot of enjoyment out of this episode. And, and as uh, Charlotte and Ian have said, you know, that there, there, there's definite issues, you know, with, with the logic of the storyline um, in places. But <clears throat> I would I would tend to sort of err on the side of of giving it a slightly higher uh, review because it it it's just a great fun story and it really lifts you out of the moment that you happen to be in at the time when you're watching it. So it's it's a kind of a, an episode that you can put on and it's just fun and and quite light hearted and quite uh, uplifting to watch in that regard and fun. Um, so I would give it four out of five on on the basis that it's it it will always be one of the episodes that i i could easily go back to and watch again and again and still enjoy how about so, you yeah. Ian? where would you put uh, places we've got 3.5 from charlotte a four from wendy ah <laughs> don't know <laughs> um I love it. I'm going to have to get an Ian soundboard where we can have your. I think it's. I think it's. I, I think it's a very enjoyable episode, barring the, mm. the 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 logic and stuff like that. And as I said, you know, Doctor Who's internal logic is up and down, up and down. It doesn't make any sense. But barring that, that it's sense. yeah, it's a very enjoyable episode, and I enjoyed it immensely. I didn't think the CGI wasn't too bad either. I think it was much better than um, when they first started with with, with Chris Eccleston than with the CGI. Uh, in I agree. Eccleston I think this stands yeah. up a lot it's better. Than I was yeah, it's much better. It, I watched this yeah. in standard definition, so I yeah. was expecting it to be really quite fuzzy. I was surprised. Mm. Pleasant surprise. Yeah, they did. They did well. I'd give it what maybe I'm being generous here. Maybe a three and a half or something like that. I'd give it that basic. I was going to give it a two, but. Um, <laughs> not really (laughs) but you know know, it's doctor who and i like tenant you know even though he guns a lot that's fine Um, (laughs) i'll give it i'll give it three and a half just to be generous but there you go i've been mulling this over mulling this over for a couple of days since i watched it and uh i enjoyed this just fine at the time in in yeah. context as i said yeah. midway through the fourth series at the height of the series popularity and i've never used the word filler when it comes to doctor who particularly russell mm. t davis doctor who. this is yeah. the prime example of an episode that certainly i and maybe you could quite easily take for granted i think predictability and silliness is part of the agreement it's 
in the disclaimer. <laughs> the cast are all in on the joke, and so are we. Uh, it's indulgent, and perhaps not for everybody, but I found it uh, buzzing <laughs> with spirits, <laughs> audacity, whimsy, everything you'd expect from Rusty Davis and Gareth Roberts. Uh, <laughs> it's the simplest of, of pleasures in many respects. And like any uh, part of the game, it's impossible to not play along with it. I think it's almost irresistible. I was going to go, I was going to go with three out of five, but mm. I'm going to give it a four after all. I can't think of many ways in which, to its particular remit, this episode couldn't have could have been better. I think, mm. like I say, I wish the detective story, the the who done it could have been given that little bit more time. And and I think that that's something that would dog new Doctor Who right up until the, the Capaldi era when each episode was given an extra four or five minutes and that they, they dropped down from 13 to 12, didn't they? And they allocated that uh, the screen time amongst the remaining episodes. This, mm. yeah, I, I don't think this is quite as bad as some of the Smith episodes would be. It doesn't get resolved in a rush in fact, far from it. Like I say, it's the world's slowest car chase. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm quite confident. In, in Given the fact that I'm still smiling thinking about it, and giving this a four out of five, I feel completely justified. And yet again, I, I did. I, I'm tempted to go and, I won't say read, I'm not a reader, but certainly go and watch more Agatha Christie. She's been dead. Yeah, she died in, mm-hmm. uh, in the late 70s, I think. Lived to a ripe old age. Certainly lived to a point where she could see her books enduring and being adapted. It's not quite the tragedy of a Charles Dickens whereby he, you know, he was at the time of his death, the man was crushed with insecurity and a sense of not having achieved. Christie lived mm. beyond that. And I think that's quite a nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we mentioned them earlier on. Gareth Roberts and Graham Harper, the writer and director of this. Graham Harper would return to the show and direct The Waters of Mars. Uh, Gareth Roberts, this was his, yeah, this was his second of six scripts. So he would return for the Planet of the Dead special and then would recur right the way through to the, uh, the Peter Capaldi era. Graham Harper would go on to, to work with Phil Collinson. Again, he directed the infamous tram crash episodes of Coronation Street in 2010, which I think it's still the most ambitious thing they've ever done on that show, where they dropped a tram through the roof of the Rover's Return or yeah. something, Ian. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> oh, I still episode. watched it at that point, yeah. Yeah, my my, my, my uh, sisters were into that stuff, so yeah. I remember them telling me, and I saw the, I saw the episode because they re- used to rerun it. Good. It was a good special effects. It was. It worked. Well, I mean, I mean, Emmerdale tried to top it, didn't they? With a plane crashing into Emmerdale, didn't they? And a plane, a literal plane crash into the into the town, killing like I think twenty cast members that had been there for years. So Coronation Street did did the tube thing, didn't they? And I think all of the soaps were trying to top each other, weren't they, at that moment in time? So yeah. The Unicorn and the Wasp. People, please to know if you haven't seen it for a while, and this has uh, stirred your interest. It's available as part of the DVD and Blu-ray Series 4 sets. It's currently streaming on the BBC iPlayer. If you're in the UK or over on HBO Max in North America, check your own streaming services, please, in other territories, because I have no idea about what's going on where. You can watch it on Sky, definitely. Well, I don't use Sky, but you do. So I'm Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah it's, on, it's, it's all new Who on, on Sky. Definitely it's just new Who. It hasn't got classic Who. That's the old girl uh, starting up and calling time on another edition of Type 40, a Doctor Who That's podcast. It. 
I'll be back with another one soon. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been on the dedicated home feed for Type 40 at type40.podbean.com or maybe we rolled up on the podcatcher of your choice. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbay, all those other places or on the Podbean app itself. And we're still on the fabulous Fandom Podcast Network's own master feed, which is loaded up with all of those treats for your ears practically daily. So please consider a trip over to there. Maybe you'd like to have your say on all of this. Get in touch. Reach out to us at our social media, Instagram and Twitter at Type40DoctorWho, or you can email us Type40DoctorWho at gmail.com. And if you're feeling really, really brave and fancy some (laughs) real-time extra-dimensional chit-chat, head over to the Type40 Facebook group. There you'll find fans of all ages and from all over the Hooniverse. Ian, if people want to hear and see more of you, where can they reach out to you on social media? Uh, what is it? Um, Twitter. You can you can read me on Twitter. My name's Ian David Diaz at the Mega Geek. You can you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on. Uh, well, you can't find me. You can find my stuff that I've actually made on YouTube. Rebecca, the Rebecca Gold channel. Just type in Rebecca Gold and you'll find it. It has my movies on there. Has the series Rebecca Gold on there too. So knock yourselves out. Which is fantastic by the way there you go see and how about you wendy where can people reach out to you on social media i am on twitter um at wendology one charlotte how about you where can people hear and see more of you so you'll see me in the type 40 facebook group um and then you can hear me on the type 40 live stream with ian and dan and some of our other lovely family find me on twitter and instagram as the space book where i'm geeking out about all things inside and outside of the tardis it falls to me now to reach out through time and space and to grab hold of the randomizer because we need to find oh, out God, what we'll there be we go. Here <laughs> on the next thrilling adventure in space and time Oh, please be another silly one for Ian so he can have a mental breakdown. (laughs) Have a mental breakdown. Just point out the obvious. We're going to pick the next one live here with you guys. And if you're listening on the podcast, are you ready? Go on in. The next Doctor Who story that we're going to be watching here on the Type 40 Doctor Who podcast is In the Forest of the Night. We always have the time if you have the space here at Type 40. Take care. Speak soon. Bye-bye.